Good morning. I, uh, I feel like I deserved at least some credit for the mic because it was my idea. <laughs> I figured if a random dude rushed up in front, I would get tackled. I don't know if you have security here. I wasn't prepared to take the risk. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, we do have some resources. As I mentioned, my brother Aaron wrote this new book. It's amazing, not beyond reach. Check it out. And uh, also, I wrote a book about a little few years ago, Jesus in the Secular World. I think it's actually the book, I don't think, I know. It's the book the class is going to be on. So check that out. Dan is out there. He's a guy from our mission. He's not scary, so go talk to him. Uh, and a lot of people say to me after I talk, hey, I would love your notes. There's quotes and, and different pieces of information if you want my notes, just sign up out there. We'll email them to you if that's helpful for you. Uh, and lastly, just a shout out to my grandma because she's watching online. So love you, grandma. All right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for their obvious hearts for you. But Lord, I know that there are people here whose hearts have been breaking and continue to break for the people in their lives who don't know you their sons and daughters, their grandkids, their neighbors and friends. and Lord, they've cried, they've prayed, they've invited, they've done everything they think they can do and they, they feel desperate and hopeless. And I pray tonight you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, not through anything I say, embolden them, Lord Jesus. Renew their faith and use them mightily to, use the, to reach the people in their lives who don't know you. Let me play a small part in helping them do that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We live in very challenging times, right? There's always been struggles, but it feels like now is maybe more difficult than ever. The, the things being taught in schools, in the media, just everywhere you go, the lies that we're constantly being told about who we are and what to believe and what's true. According to studies, over 50% of Gen Z now claim no religious affiliation. It's the first time in U.S. history where an, a generation more than half of a generation says, I don't believe in anything. And I know, like I said, for many of you, this is not an academic issue or something abstract out there. For many of you, this hits home. I don't have to wonder whether this represents many of your sons and daughters or friends or colleagues. I know it does. And like I, I prayed, you have cried, you have invited, you've done what you think you can do, and, and you're maybe tempted to give up hope. This morning, I want to offer some, some thoughts based on a life I've been very blessed to live growing up in missions my whole life, born and raised in Amsterdam, seeing the power of God outside of the church. So maybe God could use me in a small way this morning. That's my prayer. But before I get into some practical points, and I have four for you this morning, I can't skip past the foundation. If I miss the foundation of why God does anything in the first place, I might as well just leave now, honestly. You'd, I'd be better sparing your time. Because there is something critical for you to understand before I say anything else. And I want to use the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament to illustrate it this morning. I'm sure you're familiar, but Nehemiah, it's a, it's a brilliant model for us how we can respond to a crisis. What do we do when everything's falling apart? Nehemiah brilliantly demonstrates what that might look like. So in case you forgot, Nehemiah, he has this unusual predicament, right? He's got a great job. He's the cup bearer to the king. And so what that means is that he has prestige and comfort and security. I mean, he's, he's one of the trusted officials. But he's a Jew, and his people are not in the same place as him. 
Their nation is destroyed. Their city, Jerusalem, is in ruins. And so we have this predicament, and Nehemiah is living his life. Everything's going great. But then he has some relatives come visit him, and it kind of wrecks him. It alters the entire trajectory of his life. And they say to him, Nehemiah, don't you know? Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls have been burnt down. The name of God is in disgrace. And when Nehemiah hears this, it has a deep impact on him. This is how he responds in Nehemiah 1.4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In that one verse is a crucial foundation. If we miss this, nothing we try to do afterwards will help or make a difference. See, the first thing Nehemiah did is he wept. If this is just an academic issue for you, we will make no difference. If my heart is not truly broken, if I'm not weeping, if I'm not desperate, if I just try to approach this like some to-do list or academic problem, I will make no difference. So like Nehemiah, our hearts have to be broken. And then it says that Nehemiah developed a five-step plan in a boardroom. It says that Nehemiah responded in desperate prayer and fasting. Because you see, Nehemiah looked at the situation and he looked at himself and he did the math. And he says, I've got nothing. I am woefully inadequate to meet the needs of the world. And that has not changed. You and I are woefully inadequate to meet the needs of the world. The point of the story of the five loaves and two fish is not this. How do we best maximize the five loaves and two fish? How can we divide them well and steward it properly? The point of that story is you don't have enough. I don't have enough. All I can do is offer what little I have to Jesus and he multiplies it and that's how the masses are fed. And so guys, anything I say this morning, if it is not motivated by love and fueled by prayer, let's just, I mean, they kind of get mad at me, but let's just shut her down. So first things first, let God break your heart and respond in desperate prayer. But then we need a plan. Nehemiah had a plan, and if you read, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty amazing. And we need a plan. So what's the plan Four things this morning. It starts with developing a missionary mindset. Develop a missionary mindset. Imagine if I came to you after the service and I said, look, you're going to be sent, you and your family, or if you don't have one, just you are going to be sent to China as a full-time missionary in one year. I think intuitively you would recognize, well, I better prepare. Right? I'm not just going to like set a calendar date and then just show up. I'm going to prepare, right? I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to absorb the culture. I'm going to do everything I can do to effectively communicate the gospel to those people. Well, here's the thing, guys. We are foreigners in our own cities. We have become foreigners in our own cities. And in order to reach people in our own lives, let alone the city, we have to become cross-cultural missionaries to our own cities. So what does that mean? 
means that they're not coming to us. It means that we can't sit here and expect them to come to us. And we can make our services great, and we should. We can make our music awesome, and it is. But they're not coming to us. A missionary goes. We need to go. And then we need to commit ourselves to learning and understanding the context and culture around us that we might communicate the gospel effectively. Let me say that again. We need to commit ourselves to learning and understanding the context and culture around us in order to communicate the gospel effectively. A large part of my failure to reach people or our failure to reach people at times is that we just don't know them. And so we're speaking in a language that makes no sense. Or we're answering questions that people aren't even asking. Jesus was a brilliant communicator. When he spoke of fishing and farming and seeds and sowing and seasons, these weren't abstract agrarian terms that he just chose to use. This was daily life, right? People would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. But if I go into Minneapolis or London or New York and say, Jesus is the good shepherd, I mean, they'll literally know what I'm saying. But is that a powerful symbol today? Guys, isolation is our enemy. Isolation is our enemy. In fact, that's how languages develop, right? You separate two groups of people for long enough, eventually they don't communicate anymore. And I think that's happened in the church. But here's a crucial thing to understand. Isolation is not just about proximity. I think we all can agree you can be near people, but that doesn't mean you know people. We've created a, a perfect culture for being surrounded by people all the time and never engaging. We can be alone together. So we need to get to know people. Perhaps the greatest example of having a missionary mindset of intentionally developing relationships is the Apostle Paul. Look at Acts 17, 17. One small verse, so much to learn. It says this. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. All right, what can we learn from this? Well, where did Paul go? Actually, back up. When did he go? It says he went daily. Right, so this wasn't an outreach event. This wasn't like a thing we put on our to-do list for next Saturday. Paul was daily present. Where did he go? Well, it said he went to the synagogue as well as the public squares. So yeah, he had a heart for the Jews, but Paul spent time with just everyday, ordinary people. And then who did he speak with? All who happened to be there. It's that simple. That is a missionary mindset. Being present daily among normal people speaking to all who happened to be there. It's that simple, and of course I understand it's also that hard. In Steiger, we just call this being present in the scene. We do a lot in art and music, and of course the scene often gets associated with music. But scene is just a group of people gathering around a particular interest. So working out can be a scene. Following a sports team, for better or for worse, can be a scene. Right? A hobby, a cause, a board game. There's so many scenes. 
One of the main ways that I have the privilege of sharing the gospel is through a band called No Longer Music. It's very unusual. We combine music, video, special effects, theater. We go outside of the church in big city squares all over the, all over the world, and, and we present the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in a very modern, theatrical way, and preach the gospel, give people an opportunity to respond. In fact, I was just in Romania on tour when I got the invite to preach here a few weeks ago. So this is a big part of what I do. It's one of the scenes God has called me to. But when I'm at home, which is more often, I'm also a dad. Well, I'm a a dad always, obviously, not just at home. I have a seven-year-old son, two daughters, five and three, which is why I look so refreshed. (sighs) To be honest, I have it easy. My wife is like wrestling with the three kids, and I'm just up here having a conversation with you guys. Um... And my son, he made the choice or decided or requested a year ago to play hockey. Now, I know, I've heard, I grew up in Europe. I was, well, not the parts of Europe that play. I was ignorant of all of the, well, I just was going to say, I was warned. Okay, I was warned about how difficult, how time-consuming it would be. We ignored those warnings, and lo and behold, I've been in a rink a lot in the last year. And I could complain, and I could see it as an annoying thing, a nuisance, or I could put my AirPods in and drink my coffee. But I started to look around, and funny enough, a lot of the same dads seemed to be showing up with these kids. And I thought, this is a scene. This is a hockey dad scene. I got to be here. I got to be intentional here. I got to ask God what role he'd have me play here. Scenes are not for unusual people. Scenes are for everyone. We're all called to places where God has given us influence. And we need to intentionally build relationships there. Because here's what happens. When you do that, guess what? You start to communicate in a way that people get. We're no longer guessing what people feel or wondering what's on their hearts. We know because we know them. Again, going back to Paul, look at Acts 17, 23. Another brilliant demonstration of the missionary mindset. Verse 23 says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. All right, so Paul is walking around. He's paying attention. He's studying the culture, probably having conversations. He recognizes an opportunity, and he preaches the gospel. This is a perfect description of what having a missionary mindset looks like. All right, step two. We need to have spiritual conversations. Develop a missionary mindset, have spiritual conversations. You know, today, it's, it's, and it's unique to today, but I would imagine it's a feature of all of history. We have this dichotomy of religious skepticism but spiritual curiosity, right? People are, ooh, I don't know about that church thing, but spirituality, they're actually pretty open. I'd imagine some of you know what I'm talking about. And if I was to pick a spokesperson for this brand of spirituality, it would be Emma Chamberlain. There's many other ones, um, but she is very unique, uh, influencer, podcaster, YouTuber, and she talks a lot about deep things, including spirituality. And I stumbled on a podcast episode of hers a couple years back that she's actually since followed up quite recently called My Spiritual Journey. I'd recommend you check it out. Emma Chamberlain, My Spiritual Journey. Just look it up. You'll find it. 
It's quite long. She meanders and rambles a little bit. But I think she perfectly represents the youth culture perception of spirituality. It's very eye-opening and important to understand. Let me just summarize it for you. This is her view. Religion is old, rigid, externally imposed, and narrow-minded. That's religion. Spirituality is self-generated. It's open-minded. It's tolerant and inclusive. It's no wonder, when described that way, that spirituality is pretty attractive, right? And religion is something you don't want. Now, clearly, there is a lot to critique here, but what I want to emphasize for us this morning is there is an opportunity here. There is an opportunity for us here. Because I believe that this spiritual curiosity, more than just a feature of our current times, is a reality of how we are made. God has put inside of every person in your life a spiritual curiosity. And it's critical that we recognize it. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1.20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I think if we're careful, or if we're not careful, rather, we can weaponize this verse. Right? To point to people in our lives and say, you have no excuse. And while that may be true, I see it as a confidence booster. Everyone in your life has a spiritual curiosity. St. Augustine, famous theologian, he wrote this during his spiritual conversion, his, his faith journey. He wrote this, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look at where the light fell. And this was his way of basically saying this. Look, as I was coming to know Jesus, I wasn't able to see God, whether it was because of my pride or just a spiritual blindness. But he said that as I looked around, I saw evidence of God everywhere I looked. I saw where this light was falling. And as I traced it back to its source, I found God. I found God. This is true of every person today, and recognizing this should radically impact our approach. I'd put it this way. There are people in your life, they don't know Jesus, or they did, and they've walked away. What happens if I come to them and I say, don't you know the Bible says? Or if you were to stand before God today and he was to judge you, where would you be? What happens? Whoa, 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 whoa. That religious stuff. Mm -mm. No thanks. Right, yes, there's power in those words. There's power in scripture. But for so many people, that religious skepticism, whew, they throw a wall up. I think we have to approach it a different way. I think we have to recognize the spiritual curiosity and begin there. I was part of an outreach here in Minneapolis. And we were down by one of the beaches and this couple came. And the guy started talking to someone, and this girl came, and, and I, so I approached her. And I started talking to her, and it turns out she was an art student. I said, oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I make art too. Let me ask you a question. I said, when you make art, you could reduce it to its most basic properties, right? Molecules and ink and sound waves. I said, but when you make art, 
don't you feel like you're tapping into something deeper? Don't you feel like you're doing something almost mysterious, almost transcendent? And she goes, yeah, I do. I said, you know, I do too. And I think that's because art is not just some material thing. I think art, the fact that we make and love art, is a reflection of how we were created. I believe we were created by the greatest artists of all time. And so I'm going and I'm explaining who Jesus is. She says, you know, I'm not really into that religious stuff. I said, I'm not into religion either. Religion says you have to earn God's love. But Jesus said that all of us fall short. And none of us can earn it. We just have to receive it. And she's totally open. A simple question unlocked a spiritual curiosity that led to a gospel conversation And I was able to pray with this girl here just a few years back. There are so many places where the invisible qualities of God are speaking to people, are resonating with people, even if they don't recognize its source. I think of beauty or just the way God created the world. You know, I was thinking the other day about food, right? God could have created it so that we just, you know, food was just this super functional thing. Right, we just had to kind of eat this white, tasteless substance. We just did that, you know, and we just kind of went about our day. But he didn't do that. He gave us taste buds. He gave us this incredible, rich variety of food. You think about nature and its beauty. It's not just functionally amazing. It's aesthetically brilliant. How does that not scream of a designer, of an artist, of a maker? Of course, as I mentioned, art. What an anomaly. No other living creature makes art. It's all about survival. But here we are. We spent 10,000 hours learning how to dance or sing or paint. Often detached from any utilitarian function, simply for the love of it. The way we'll watch a movie or hear a piece of music and it'll move us in a way that defies simple materialism that we can't even really explain. I think about relationships, justice, sacrifice. The light is falling all around people. These things resonate with them, and their worldview offers no cogent explanation for these things. And yet they know they're true. They feel that they're true. And we need to recognize those to start spiritual conversations. And you might be thinking, where do I begin? How do I do this? And it's really this simple We need to arm ourselves with great questions and show genuine interest. Some questions you could ask are, what are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? If you could change anything about the world, what would it be? What makes you angry? What is your biggest dream? What are your greatest fears? Or why is the world so beautiful? Why do we care about art? Why are we willing to sacrifice our lives for somebody else? So many great questions, and good questions will reveal opportunities for spiritual conversations. Third, learn good answers to tough questions. Look, when you attempt to go out, you have this missionary mindset, you ask great questions, you're perceptive about where the light falls, Inevitably, as you start having these conversations, you're going to be confronted by some stuff, right? Some messiness. 
50 years ago in the U.S., most of the Christian West, Christianity was seen as, as occupying the moral high ground. To align myself with biblical values was to be a good moral person. Today, not so much. Today, among youth culture especially, to be a biblical Christian is to be immoral. It's to fall on the wrong side of issues of gender, sexuality, race, politics, the environment. That's the perception. Of course, I don't believe that's true, but that is how we are viewed today. And so when you're out there having these conversations, people are going to throw these accusations at you. And it can be tempting to go into a fight-or-flight mode. Right? We either are like, whoa, I'm out. Or we're like, all right, let's go. And what I've discovered is that running away and yelling at people rarely makes a difference. So we need to have good answers to tough questions. So what do we do? The first thing I'd say is find common ground. Find common ground. I was talking to a young guy on one of our outreaches, and he described himself as a neo-Marxist. Now, I've studied a lot of history, read a lot of books. I know a lot about the subject, and I'm very confident he would not beat me in an argument about Marxism. And I could have gone there. I could have, but I didn't. I said, interesting. Tell me more about that. And you know what I've discovered? What I discovered just below the surface of that label? Here was a young guy who looked at the world and said, things aren't how they ought to be. We're hurting each other. We're destroying each other. This is not how the world is supposed to be. I said to him, you're right. You're right. He said, let me, I said to him, let me tell you about someone who didn't just talk about love, but he proved it. Let me tell you about someone who, when he was here, he gave himself. He served. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. But the most important thing he did is he sacrificed himself so that we could fix not only what's out there, but what's in here. The things I do to contribute to the suffering of the world around me. And he was totally open. And I think largely because I was willing to find common ground and not get distracted or hung up by the messiness. And I get it. There are some destructive ideologies, beliefs. But what I see in Jesus is someone who went after the heart expecting the behavior to follow. He showed mercy. He found common ground. And he changed hearts. After that, and this one seems so rudimentary, but we do need to study. I, I do think we have to have a sophisticated response to some of the difficult subjects in our culture. And the beauty is God has equipped others to be what you're not, to be what I'm not. We are a part of a body, and because of that, God has gifted men and women with brilliant minds and ways of articulating great responses to difficult questions. I mean, there's so many I could give you on a list. I just got five here. These are some of my favorites. Like I said, you can get my notes if you sign up out there. But a reason for God, top of the list. A people to be loved by Preston Sprinkle. Brilliant understanding of how to engage the whole issue of sexuality in our culture today. So many. And if you want more, I can give you more. But the point is we need to commit ourselves to having good answers to tough questions. And part of that is just caring enough to study. But again, let me be clear. This isn't knowledge for knowledge's sake or learning that fuels fear and hostility. It's a commitment to understand so that we can love better. 
so that we can communicate more effectively. Finally, guys, we need to stand up for what's true. In this whole attempt to have good answers to tough questions, sometimes we just have to accept that it's going to be hard. We weren't promised we were going to be universally loved. Right? And in this culture, if you stand up for biblical values, you will be canceled. But guys, we are foreigners of this world, not citizens. John 15, 19 made it abundantly clear how we would be viewed for the things we believed. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world so it hates you. Guys, we want to love. We want to understand. We want to start spiritual conversations. But there is a time and place where we just have to stand up for what's true because these lies are destroying people and they deserve to hear the truth. Have a missionary mindset. Start spiritual conversations. Have good answers to tough questions and then share your story to talk about the cross. Look, in the end of the day, for all of our approaches and techniques and testimonies, what people need is to experience the power of God. And guess when God unleashes his power? When we preach the gospel. When we lift up the cross. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My dad, who started this ministry I'm a part of, always says, where there is no cross, there is no power. We were playing a show in Croatia one time, and the stage they gave us to play on had no roof over it, and the rain threatened all day. This huge crowd gathers. We start to perform. And like I said, in our show, we do a theatrical depiction of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we get to the point of the crucifixion where we're representing the crucifixion and all of a sudden downpour. I mean, I'm talking like lightning, wind. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It made for pretty epic visual environment. But I'm panicking, right? I'm looking at my, my guitarist and the drummer. They're kind of like right here. We're looking at each other like, what do we do? I'm looking over at our Australian bass player. He seems oblivious. He's just rocking. He doesn't care. But that's Australians for you. All of a sudden, the power goes out. Now, typically, when you share the gospel, you don't want to end at the crucifixion. Right? That's a weird time for, like, a break. But that's what happened. We're like, what do we do now? And so David, again, who's, like, in the band still, and he jumps off the stage, jumps into the mud, and he says, if you want to know this Jesus I'm talking about, the one who can forgive you and set you free, kneel in the mud with me. And all these people start kneeling. And I'm in my bed later that night going, do you even need me, God? Here I thought it was about how cool I was. About this great show we have. There is so much power in the cross. There is so much power in the gospel. It's dynamite. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, I better start a rock band. And for some of you, maybe. And for most of you, probably not. <laughs> you don't have a rock band, but you have a story. There is power in your story.
when you can look someone in the eye and say, I was dead. I was hopeless. I was numb. And now I'm alive. There's so much power in your story. That's why Revelation 12:11 said, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. God wants to use your story to change lives. We tell our stories to talk about the cross. And we watch lives change. Guys, I know the world is on fire. And many of you have cried for your kids. You've said, when, God? When are they going to come back? Don't give up. Be like the widow before the unjust judge. Don't give up. Let God break your heart in a fresh way. If you've grown cold, if you felt like giving up, let him break your heart again. And then commit to praying like you've never prayed before. Pray radically. Pray disruptively. And then be present. Develop a missionary mindset. Don't expect them to come to us. Let's go to them. Let's let's ask great questions in order to have spiritual conversations. Let's equip ourselves with good answers to tough questions. And then let's share our stories to talk about the cross. This isn't a formula, a magic bullet. But what I've seen is that if you will commit to this, God will use you and lives will change. I believe there are some of you that need to respond to this. So I haven't told them I'm going to do this, but there are people who you've been crying for, and I think you need to come up here while they're playing a song, and as a symbol of your commitment to renew your effort to pray for them, you're going to come up here, and together we're going to say, God, do something in their lives. So if that's you, just come up now. Don't wait for somebody else. If there's people in your life and you want to take a stand today and say, enough. I want to see my son come to Jesus. I want to see my neighbor who I'm praying with for for 20 years come to Jesus. That's you. I need you to come up here. They're going to play a song and we're going to recommit to praying and to playing the small part that God would have us play in reaching them. Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for your heart for the lost and that you use weak and trembling, ill-equipped, ordinary people like me. And I pray now that you would use us, renew our faith, embolden us, equip us. We believe, we have faith, Jesus, that you will reach those we've been crying out for because of your power and what you did on the cross for all of us, Jesus. Amen.